0: Fuck the fuckers.
1: Okay, welcome everybody. Uh, before we start, I have a couple of remarks. Uh, first of all, don't be fooled by the microphones; they're just for show. Uh, uh, about how we'll proceed today is uh, we, I. After the introduction uh, we have our speakers, first Pancha and then a bit of a tandem between uh, Moma and Ruzi. Then we have a break uh, and then we will come back and maybe split into groups and talk about certain questions that might or might not arise from the uh, the talks. So uh, the context of this group is uh, struggles slash insurrections against neoliberalism. And today's topic is uh, the, are the recent uprisings in Iran in the context of the Iranian Revolution of uh, 1979, with a specific focus on the narratives of anti-imperialism and non-Western paradigms of revolt. Uh, our speakers today are Mama Zare, <coughs> Zare Zare, Zare. uh, who is a doctorate student in sociology and journalist uh, with a focus in social movements against neoliberalism in the global south, Uh, Ruzi Amiri who is uh, an activist and former student, and co-moderating with me Vera, who is a poet and performer. Uh, As I understand, Her focus will be uh, to make some remarks on different assessments of revolts that fall outside the Western paradigm, in the example of an article written by Foucault in uh, 1978. And the topic of the conversation between uh, Ruzi and uh, MoMA will be uh, regarding the history of Iran and, as I understand it, Zee will have uh, more focus on like event events and more, and more on discursive history ideology like what how it was presented, how it was talked about
0: well yeah first um yeah I wanted to make like this like um Kind of well, as short as possible, I guess. These like short remarks on this article that Foucault wrote in the seventies regarding the um, Iranian Revolution, because I thought that it was like it condenses a lot of many problems that are really important, like idealization of otherness, uh, a certain kind of anti-Western politics, and so on. Um, I'm gonna be reading. Uh, then, so I'm sorry for that. It might make it like kind of boring, but yeah. Um, in the preface to the first German edition of Das Kapital from 1867, Marx wrote that the country, the quotation that is there, the country that is more developed industrially only shows to the less developed the image of its own future. So the end is already clear. Revolution might be necessary as a catalysation of social change, as a moment of transition between one moment of history to the other, but its agency is restricted to the internal logic of material historical development. Both the expansion of capitalism as well as revolutions are, for Marx, to a certain extent, immune to historical contingency and cultural singularities. The unfolding of history is then teleological. Like it has a, telos, a purpose to be fulfilled. And revolutions realize this thing that is already predetermined. Like, they realize a future that is already predetermined. This theological uh, interpretation of history, together with many other fundamental notions of the project of modernity emancipation, Mm -hmm. universalism, uh, freedom, and so on, um, is questioned during the 20th century with increasing sharpness. During the 70s, there are debates around the end of the era of revolutions and the emergence of a post-revolutionary condition. It is in this context that the Iranian Revolution posed an hermeneutic difficulty for European theorists of the revolution. It wasn't sufficiently comprehensible by applying modern models of revolutionary processes. Here, there was a revolution that was subverting the normal unfolding of industrialization and political liberalization. So, therefore, a revolution that was subverting the image of the future that Marx is talking there about, uh, the image of the more industrial developed countries. So, a revolution that was subverting the image of the West. <laughs> Taking part in these debates in uh, 1978, Michel Foucault writes an article for Le, for Le Nouvel Observateur called What Are Iranians Dreaming About? which I think that it's like already like a bit like, why do you pick that name? But uh, he writes this article based on uh, the two visits that he made to Iran uh, during the time of the revolution. Foucault believes that we've passed the, um, oh, I'm sorry, (laughs) Uh, based on the two visits that he made to Iran, where he shows his support for the uprising not despite of its ambiguity, despite of this like, difficulty to comprehend it under a more like classical understand, understanding of a revolution, but partly because of this ambiguity. Foucault believes that we've passed the historical dimension of the modern revolution. And in accordance with this position in his article, he doesn't focus on the transitional dynamics of the revolt from one pre-revolutionary, a moment to a post-revolutionary moment. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah. So he doesn't focus on these like, transitional dynamics of the revolution, but he's rather interested in the uprising as an event capable of breaking the constraints of what is meant to be possible. So the uprising as an opening to new experiences, to unforeseen novelty. So like revolution for the sake of the revolution, could, like somebody could say. Um, here it's important to see that he's thinking along the lines of his rejection of modernity, his conviction that enlightenment rationality has not closed the gate of unknown possibilities for human societies. And this explains his problematic enthusiasm for the idea of an Islamic government. Uh, Next quote. Um, This is is from the article. Uh, He writes, it's a long-foreseen split taking place within the opposition to the Shah. The politicians of the opposition try to be reassuring. It is good, they say. At the moment, we are rallying to Khomeini, But once the dictatorship is abolished, all this mist will dissipate. Authentic politics will take command, and we will soon forget the old preacher. So he's like quoting what he was hearing from uh, some some politicians in the opposition in Iran, people he talked with. But then uh, Foucault dismisses the approach of this politicians under quotations for supposedly not understanding that what they think to be authentic politics is a colonial apparatus imposing a homogenization of singular experiences a modernization in the sense of a westernization that presents itself as both universal and unavoidable like again how marx was saying the the in Im- the more developed countries what they show is the image of the of the future for the less developed countries like we're all going to the same place no matter where we are because cultural singularities don't have any role in this for Foucault um, uh, the next <laughs> uh, for Foucault the Iranian Revolution disrupts this conception of the political it implies The introduction of a spiritual dimension into political life in order that it would not be, as always, the obstacle to spirituality, but rather its receptacle, its opportunity and its ferment. Here, Foucault is not referring so much to the religious characteristics of the revolution, but highlighting the ultimately mysterious experience of revolt and transcendence. He condenses this in the formula political spirituality that he mentions a few times in the in the article and also in other texts. Um, And yeah. Nobody can really explain what happens that suddenly somebody is transformed from inside to reach a point that transcends fear. Without transcending fear, revolutions cannot take place. So and and here I think that it's like one of, one of one of the biggest problems with the text is that um, when Foucault talks about uh, this introduction of a spiritual dimension, uh, he's not talking about something inherently specific to the Iranian Revolution. Um, but then, precisely uh, in his analysis, uh, he himself seems to go way too easily from the notion of political spirituality to the notion of an Islamic government. like We could use what he was saying about political spirituality and apply it to other moments, like how this spiritual dimension is important in other kinds of revolts that are not necessarily led by the kind of sensitivities that the Iranian revolution was. But he's not making that point clear, so then it seems that this spiritual dimension is actually Islam, as such. Uh, next one. Um, by Islamic government, nobody in Iran means a political regime in which the clerics would have a role of supervision or control. Well, this also explains a lot of how misled it. <laughs> It was what he was thinking. Um, during his visits to Iran, Foucault will talk with students, professors, and religious authorities, and asks them what they understand by Islamic government. Uh, a utopia, some told me, without any pejorative implication. An ideal, most of them say to me, at any rate, it is something very old and also very far into the future a notion of coming back to what islam was at the same at, at the time of the prophet but also of advancing towards a luminous and distant point where it would be possible to renew fidelity rather than maintaining uh, obedience very like mystic <laughs> um It's interesting to see that while Foucault thinks that the historical dimension of the revolution has passed, at the same time, he goes back to the roots of the idea of the revolution in the Middle Ages, like the collective spiritual awakening as the horizon of radical change on Earth, Uh, which is millenarian movements at the end of the Middle Ages, and so on. Ultimately, Foucault will say, in reference to an Islamic government, that more than an idea or an ideal, he understands it as a form of political will, whose effort is to politicize structures that are inseparably social and religious in response to current problems. This is an interpretation that goes in accordance with his general opinion on what is our more important political task, uh, namely to politicize institutions that are apparently not political. But here again, like in such a definition of political will, uh, the fact that he is constantly uh, mixing what he referred uh, as political spirituality with Islamic government. It, it's really problematic. Like it, it. This enable us to like understand what what is he actually saying. Um, like well, like probably just like a. An idealization of otherness. Uh, the next, one. um, in November nineteen seventy eight, um, like the the same year also. Foucault's article appeared in Le Novel Observateur. An Iranian feminist text in the same newspaper uh, called Atusa H responds to Foucault's article. Many Iranians are like me, distressed and desperate about the thought of an Islamic government. We know what it is. Everywhere outside Iran, Islam serves as a cover for a feudal or pseudo-revolutionary oppression. The left should not let itself be seduced by a cure that is perhaps worse than the disease. Is the outcome of the Iranian revolution a proof that a revolutionary process that doesn't try to consciously realize the project of modernity is doomed from the very beginning? If we agree that other revolutions, like the Russian, that did try to realize this project, like, that were consciously applying this kind of ideologies, also failed in its attempt to create a society without oppression, then we can also agree that reinforcing the ideals of the Enlightenment and Western rationality is not necessarily a solution. But here, like, we find like the contributions of the colonial theory. And to finish the last quote, this is from uh, a Syrian Spanish decolonial philosopher. And in an interview, uh, she says, it is necessary to transcend modern discourses towards decolonial thinking. We have many civilizations, and it is racist to think that it is only possible to articulate a progressive egalitarian project from a Western society. Mm, thank you.
2: <laughs> so, um, Rosie and I talked before we come here, and um, so we will have uh, 10 minutes. He will talk about the historical background of the revolution the the kind of from the um, like early uh, 20th century until the events that led to the revolution and uh, we think this is important because it will show that the uh, what kind of power relations and power dynamics led to the Establishment of Islamic Republic at the end in 1979. And then I will go back to Foucault, but uh, shortly this time, and, um, and say uh, what are exactly the events and the discourses within the Iranian revolution that were dismissed by Foucault. So
3: please. Uh, <clears throat> OK. Um, I say hello first. Um, in this beautiful paint file that you're seeing, yes, it's paint. <laughs> and yes, I used it after mm, more than a decade, at least. <laughs> uh, I, th- I, just th- I thought that um, in order to talk about like, what has happened like in a country in 1979, it's, it would be helpful if we go like, a little bit throughout history. So I thought, mm, 1905, the year that the constitutional revolution took place in Iran, is um, is a good start. But I briefly go before 1905 to say that, like, yeah, during the 19th century, what is happening in this country, and then I'll give you like some general ideas about why i think like this like sequence of events in a chronological order will be like kind of um, helpful to understand the seven revolution and um, yeah so 19th century is probably um, <coughs> very interesting period in iran it's like at the same time that like the country is like facing like enormous animosity with like Different like colonial powers like Russia, Russian Empire and the British Empire, and like loses like massive like territory like to this two in like three different wars. Um, at the same time, it's like the era which, like the first group of Iranians they come to Europe mostly to France, so they like get to know they got to know like this um, different path, let's call it. Uh, modernization or whatever, that like the European countries are going. And they wish, for example, like for the rule of law in the country. Like why is like the king like the owner of like everything? And there are like a few events which I don't want to go through because then this 10 minutes will expand to 55. Uh, But uh, in 1905, There is like a coalition, which um, this coalition leads into the constitutional revolution. This is a co- this this w- the way of like dividing dividing the Iranian society is what I'm gonna do, and is what I came to it myself, and it's probably very not accurate, but it's helpful to like just get like a general idea about mm, this country. So I would divide the country into. First, like the centralized power, the institution of monarchy, and then I will call like the clerics, like the Islamists. Of course, there are also like different factions in like this like Islamist movement. They also like in every single event that you're seeing like like different groups of them took like different positions. But um, I will try to address as much as uh, possible. And the th- third group is like the constitutionalists. Let's call them, uh, like the intellectuals, the, stu- the students who went abroad, who came back. Some of them they left the country in exile, like to Turkey or to Egypt. They started like writing like papers, which was back then like pretty uh, pretty like uh, influential in um, um, Iranian society. And <coughs> Everything starts like, in a very fun, funny way in Bazaar, but not, not important. Uh, the main reason of like, the constitutional revolution was actually to have uh, like a judiciary system. And after that, of course, like, it was also like the establishment of, uh, of the parliament. During this time, there is a coalition between the constitutionalists and the Islamists against this establishment uh, monarchies. of monarchies. Um, which is capable of like turning like this absolute monarchy into like a constitutional monarchy this co- this coalition doesn't last long of course you can guess that like uh the constitutionalists like they push like uh, new ideas like okay let's like for example let's this is a very actually important example for which start like repeats again itself in around nineteen sixty three Let's like get like the voting rights and like also the the right to be chosen like to women, which like Islamists like go crazy, and, um, completely like ob- objecting like the idea. So there is a like short period like in 1908 of, of like what Iranians call like the short tyranny, which like the next king, which was the son of the king who ordered the constitutional revolution and the establishment of um, the parliament. Uh, he bombed he bombed the parliament, and then like there's like 11 months of like civil war, and then, uh, can we go to the first page? Yeah. And then this guy, Shaykh Fazlollah Nuri, who was like the number one mujtahid you can call it like imam of Tehran, uh, he got executed after the constitutionalists who were um, like under the siege for like 11 months or so in like the city of Tabriz. Uh, in the West of Iran, and f- finally they managed to uh, break through to Tehran and like uh, reestablished the uh, constitutional uh, system There's today an autobahn in Tehran with his name so <coughs> I'll go as fast as possible so um there's, like, a period of, like, chaos afterwards. Mm, the central power is, uh, like, very weak. The king is also, like, a kid. Like, technically, cannot, like, run the country. In 1917 um, to 1919, there is, like, the big famine of Iran in which, like, at least, like, a third of the population die. And next... And then this guy Reza Shah, who is the father of uh, the last king, the Shah, who was back then like an officer. He um, like staged a coup, became like the war minister. Shortly, like hundred days after, he became like prime minister. And then uh, <coughs> in 1925, he actually pushed for a republic. So this is the time that uh, like. There's another clash between, like, um, the constitutionalists and the Islamists. The Islamists, again, like, uh, take, like, great, like, stand against the idea of, like, the republic. That's saying, like, it's, like, anti-Islam, blah, blah, blah. And he says, okay, fuck it. I I will be the king. And um, he's he's, I think... He and Khomeini are like some of them like two of the most important figures in like uh, the twentieth century of Iran. He <coughs> he builds like this new um, nation state of Iran, kinda. He starts like first kind of like probably like copying from like what Ataturk was doing in Turkey, like to cleanse Farsi from like the Arabic world to make like um also, like the mm, tribe societies, like the, they were like uh, under pressure by uh, like his rule. He made like he like build like the first like uh, universities, railway, blah blah blah. And you can guess that he was like very very much like uh, anti-communist, and this is that like the era which already like the Soviet Union is existing in the north. And uh, he adds like this article into the constitution to the constitutional of. Uh, constitutional uh, Constitution of Iran that like uh, having like communist beliefs is illegal. So <clears throat> he it was also like kind of like flirting with like the Germans I would say like Germans built like Tehran University a lot of like railways blah 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 and d- during like the Second War he didn't support either side. So he tried to like stay neutral as possible. But in 1940, Iran was invaded by the Allies. So <coughs> the Brits from the south, uh, the Russians from the north. And uh, yeah, in a matter of like 48 hours, Tehran was uh, <coughs> seized. And uh, he, went, uh, he was sent into an exile in um, South Africa. Yeah, He died there also. And his son came to power. Um, in nineteen forty it's a uh, interesting period this period of like nineteen forty to nineteen fifty three because like this new king who is like facing who is like like uh, trying a lot to gain like power um is facing like a society in which like first uh, the hegemony of like the society is um, by the leftists. Of course, there is no communist party. It's the peep like the people's party Tude. Um, uh, quite uh, influential. And then, <coughs> uh, can we go to the next photo? Um, it's uh, the oil nationalization movement led by. Mohammad Mossadegh was in the moment that the nationalist oil was the, uh, he was an MP from Tehran who introduced like this uh, bill to the, go- uh, to the parliament and then he became the prime minister. There's a lot to talk about Mossadegh, very like contradicting feelings, so we won't do it because there's, how much is from the 10 minutes is left? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, anyway, he was toppled down. Uh, in a coup d'état orchestrated by, like, the CIA. Um, so the Shah, who who escaped to Italy, comes back, came back to the country and seek a lot to, like, rebuild like this, uh, like reign, which was completely like empty from any sort of like legitimacy. Um, There like like a few like military governments. Then like some technocrats came to power, (coughs) and uh, as uh, the influence of America is like expanding in Iran. By then it definitely (coughs) America is like the most important like foreign influence like influential foreign uh, actor in Iran after like Brits and Russians were like dividing the country technically for like at least 200 years. he managed um, a series of reforms. If you go to the next image, is helpful. Yes. So this gentleman is the Shah here. Here you see the Prime Minister Amini, very close to the Americans. Here old body of Shah and some, a few times Prime Minister, a few times Minister uh, Assad. And here is Minister Ersanjani. And you see the king is giving the ownership of a land like this piece of paper, it, the bail, whatever, to this woman. It's a very uh, significant, uh, dramatic change. What he does in sixty-three, in what he calls the White Revolution, the revolution of the people and the Shah, um, in which he managed to like rapidly and dramatically uh, enforce a series of like modernization and. Um, Industrialization in the country, so the theodals were forced to sell their land uh, to the state. The state managed, I mean, gathered that money by selling some uh, like lands of themselves, and then they uh, distributed like this lands like to the farmers. You can guess like a, like a massive land was like divided like between like a few farmers. Which is technically not enough for the farmers to continue. So, <coughs> what technically happened, which actually both of my grandparents are uh, qualified in this narration of history, is that okay, these people they sold uh, uh, the teeny tiny farms and they went uh, like to bigger cities, mostly like in the suburbs, trying to like organize like a new life in, I don't know, like Tehran or Isfahan or wherever. And <coughs> One of the parts, <coughs> and also like nationalizing of forests. Uh, uh, the one the, the part that I want to also address, which is important, is uh, finally uh, he fulfilled that promise of the constitutional revolution, and he gave like the uh, um, he allowed women to vote and also to become a candidate for the election, which like the Islamists. Specifically, Ayatollah Khomeini, the leader of the revolution, uh, he went crazy. Like, like he had like a very famous like uh, speech against the Shah, which led to him like led to like massive like uh, rallies in Tehran and Qom, which is like the Iranian Vatican. Uh, I don't know, 200 people or whatever got killed, and then he went to exile till like 10 days before the victory of the revolution in '79. Uh, so. <coughs> What marks like sixties and seventies is, <coughs> I mean, beside this like uh, primitive accumulation of capital, which happens in, in this uh, during this vital evolution and massive uh, industrialization of the country in an unprecedented way, um, is also the rise of price of oil in the early seventies, after like the embargo that like the Arab countries exposed. Imposed like to the to the world, Iran was one of the few countries which continued selling oil, and the, the price of oil like skyrocketed, and um, he got a lot of cash, a lot of cash which helped them, helped him not to also not to only have like a very like the most powerful army in the Middle East, but that poor country had like back then in like the 79 the fourth biggest army on planet Earth. Who needs and he used like this army against like the communists uh for example in Oman and so far don't want to don't want uh, don't want to go that path so um yeah to finish uh to get to the <coughs> moment of 97 and revolution um want to point out that yeah so at the end since like the mid 70s he really turned into At the same time that he was very uh, like had cancer and nobody knew about it, he really turned into like an egomaniac, crazy guy. And it is the moment that I would argue that like the revolution takes place when this constitutionalist and this um, uh, Islamist form like a new a a new coalition against this. institution of monarchy, which technically lost his historical like its historical ally, the Theodos, by itself. Um, and I think that's it, Mama, you can continue.
2: Yeah. Okay, great, thank you. Oh. I mean we can yeah. Yeah, actually, I want to uh, highlight two points uh, in the last period of time that uh, Rosie was talking about. One thing is the white revolution and how uh, this revolution from above affected the economy and also politics of the country. So it was totally a um, top-down approach to changing and engineering the society and also the economy. So, with white revolution, Ruzi mentioned uh, Islamists and clerics they were not happy, they protested against it, especially because of the political reasons and political aspects of this revolution, like social aspects. But at the same time, the effect of it was that um, the process of primitive accumulation was taking momentum inside <coughs> the country With with the whole amount of cash that was being circulated in the country, from feudalism to industrialization and the uh, expansion of the industries. So the workers' population were increasing at the same time, very much. And uh, the rural, um, the rural uh, lands were being, uh, the rural uh, places were being emptied from population. The population were selling their small lands because it was not anymore worthy of doing agriculture when agriculture was being industrialized selling selling their lands and going to the um, cities to find jobs and and therefore like cities were being expanded and the urban uh, marginalized classes were increasing so this is the context and um, by the, by the industrialization and increase of the popul- workers' population, you can expect that the, the leftists and also the workerist movements were taking also momentum. So, so in the year, I will read now. In the years preceding and during the Iranian revolution, the anti-imperialist and third-worldist discourse was built up most especially by leftists and left liberals. So when the revolution started, anti-imperialism was everyone's cry and nothing else. So Islam also became the content of that anti-imperialism, the proper content for the anti-imperialism, because it was very specific to the context of the country, and it was, it was uh, like, especially Shia Islamism was something that would would unite people against the Eastern and Western powers. So, it was offering an alternative that would make possible building a country that is neither Eastern nor Western. What happened in Iran in the year of the revolution in 1979 was that clergy and Islamists could take the lead within all sorts of political fronts which were against the Shah. But but no one is still sure or, like there is still a lot of discussion how did the clergy and Islamists took the power. So there is also a lot of discussion, was the Iranian revolution an Islamic revolution? Should we call it Islamic revolution or should we call it Iranian Revolution, or what should we even call it, because, like, there were all sorts of political powers, uh, forces involved in this revolution, and Islamists took the lead in the very last instance and then excluded uh, the, during the years after the, uh, the establishment of the Islamic Republic, excluded all the other forces and executed many of them. So. I I just want to summarize some points that um, we may need them later just uh, to establish some facts to say why the Islamists were, were a powerful force that could exclude other forces in the last instance. First thing is that comparing to other political fronts, Islamists had a relative freedom. Why? Because Shah supported and advised by the United States, was leaving the Islamists relatively free comparing to other political forces, so especially the leftists. So the leftists and communists were the main target of the the, uh, Shah regime. Mm -hmm. And they were leaving the Islamists free, kind of, especially because they were the force that would attack the Islamists and would help the propaganda of the regime against the leftists. So they had a lot of freedom zones, to, uh, so-called freedom zones, to organize themselves. Second, clergy enjoyed their popular network, which were the mosques, like similar to, uh, to Christianity, the churches that pop up everywhere, you know, the mosques the same. They were, they were increasing also in very small villages also, new mosques and new uh, religious centers were being established in the years leading to the revolution. So uh, the mosques were the access points of the Islamists to the population, uh, and it was a very big capital for the Islamists later on when they started to organize themselves. And the third, c- um, yeah, clergy had their financial network. So they, they had financial sources coming from the 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 islamic tax and islamic tax is amount of money if you have a, a, a capital or or a, a income you are obliged in islam to pay like uh, by religion to pay like yearly an amount to the clergy that you you follow like you obey so like there are different forms of islamic tax i just summarized it, but in easy words. So um, they had this source of income which comes from the people, not from any power, which is a very important aspect for, for a movement to organize itself or an institution. Because the money doesn't come from the government, doesn't come from the, uh, the foreign powers, it comes from the people. And uh, lastly, but not least, is very important and especially this is important uh, when we um, refer to Foucault to know that inside the islamic institution itself the institution of islam itself there were a lot of diversity so between the islamists as well this is what Foucault didn't see that he was amazed by the spirituality but he didn't see that there there was an institution of islam that was so much bound in, in its power to the, to, the, to the monarchy. And so many of the, the clergies were against the revolution, and they had a lot of interest in the status quo. Mm-hmm. Khomeini himself, along with um, some other clergies, they were the revolutionary faces of that institution. So when the revolution got momentum, Inside the institution of Islam, I mean Shia Islam, also a revolution happened. So the revolution happened in all aspects of the society and also forces involving the revolution. And uh, so Khomeini was this avant-garde face of the the institution of Shia and changed, uh, changed this institution radically. So I would call it modernization of the institution happened at the same time, and um, here uh, and also here we can say that for the first time Shia could involve in state making because Shia never in the history involved in state making. So, so I, um, I mentioned these points to only say that how Foucault made a big mistake in his observation of Islam. So what did Foucault see? Foucault, along with many other leftists and liberal thinkers, were amazed by the Islamic spirituality that fed the Iranian revolt against the Shah and made people sacrifice themselves for the cause. But Foucault didn't see the institution of Islam, how it makes its own subjects. He only saw the Islamist representatives of the Revolutionary Front. When he talks about the Islamic spirituality, he has no idea of the institutions behind it. Then he indirectly accuses his critics of Islamophobia, in, for example, in his... Answer to At- Atusa H. you, you can obvi- obviously see that he, he treats her like she is an ignorant western-based uh, Iranian thinker that is just so afraid of Islam
0: and is it, kind she's of... an orientalist. She's, yeah, she's, she's,
2: also an orientalist. <laughs> but actually, although he himself in turn could be easily accused of orientalism and, and sanctioned ignorance. uh, toward the power dynamics in a huge country like Iran with a lot of power dynamics that also Ruzi showed somehow. So Iranian Revolution was, um, uh, some, some thinkers would name Iranian Revolution as the first truly modernist revolution in the history because the working class was the main force that toppled the revolution. None of the political forces actually the working class because the the strikes of the oil industry workers were very important in toppling down the government the regime of shah they they kind of paralyzed the economy by by the massive strikes that they did and also the the other strikes happening every day in the country but the oil industry workers strike was was instrumental so so it did the last blow on the on the body of the regime, but Foucault described the Iranian revolution as the first postmodern revolution, seeing Islam as more of an important feature of this revolution rather than the presence and force of the working class in there so Foucault was not only interested in the spirituality but also amazed by the political potential of Islamic Republic, as he wrote in his letter to Bazar bazargan he was told that the islamic adjective of the state is there to limit the power of the state foucault wrote in the same letter that the estates in general are able to do worse of crimes if there is nothing to stop them it was not only foucault but most of the revolutionary forces at the time taught that clergies and the uh, the, the, the the clergies in fact are there to control and regulate the power, not to govern. And this was the promise that they made, and they never never followed it. So if Islam was an, um, an umbrella under which all political fronts were unified, later it was the Islamic Republic that suppressed all of them. That we should really have. Uh, really pay attention to. So it was not Islam itself that suppressed all these political forces. If you want to follow Foucault himself, like uh, his theory of the state shows that how states in all for- forms could be uh, repressive. So, so it was the actually the uh, the state that the Islamists made was. Uh, I mean the tricky part is to, to be able to pay attention at the state rather than the adjective of Islamic. Of course, Islamic had played a role, a cover ideology for the state. But um, it's really important to see that um, how how the nature of the state itself is repressive. So, So yeah. I think that's, that's my, 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 my words for the first parts are done. And, um, and I think we go and move to the recent developments in Iran. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you would continue again? Thank you.
0: Fuck Fuck the fuckers.